See that word up there? Choice. Ever heard me say that word? Choice. Make funny hand signals. <laughs> the Kiwis in the crowd. No, that's a New Zealand slang. Come on, Robbo's up the back. She knows what it means. Choice, bro. We say it all the time. Kiwis love it. Maybe you heard another Kiwi say it, but um, the funny thing about that word, in my language, my culture, it means it's very good. It means it's awesome. It's just the best. It's funny because nearly all of us, or all of us here, have made choices that are not good, that are not great, <laughs> that are not awesome. Hey, we're all in this. And that's really what I wanted to share about today is the importance of making good choices, the importance of making quality, godly decisions. I'm going to stick pretty close to my notes today because I don't want to miss anything out, which is unusual. That's why I'm sitting here so I don't get all over the place. But today I want to share some scriptures with you. I want to share some testimonies, some funny stuff, some serious stuff. But ultimately, I want to encourage you as a church, us as a church, to honor God by the choices that we make. So the context of what I'm talking about today isn't just about the S word, sin. To sin or not to sin. I believe what I have to share today, all of us can use in our day-to-day walk with God. The principles are the same. Why? Because the Bible stays the same. Hasn't changed in thousands of years in this context. So decisions like starting a new job, where we're moving to as a church, who you vote for, if you're wanting to start a ministry, all these choices God's very, very interested in. So let's just open your Bible to Galatians chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I'm going to pray. So Father, I just thank you for your word and your love, God. I thank you for where you have us as a church, as a community. And I pray, God, that uh, today as I share, that we would just have a trust in you to help us make quality choices. I thank you that your word says, Father, in Proverbs 3, that if we trust in you with all of our heart, not in our own understanding, if we acknowledge you in all of our ways, you make our paths straight. You make the way clear. So I pray, Father, that today, if nothing else, we will get direction from where you want us to be as a people, as individuals, and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, choice, I like it. Galatians 6, verse 7. I'm reading the old NIV. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Oh, a bit heavy starting, but a man reaps what he sows. Oh, still heavy. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary then in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those brothers and sisters of the faith. That wasn't heavy enough for you. Let's turn to Romans seven, fifteen. I'll just paraphrase it. I'll say this version of it. It's a very interesting scripture. This is Paul. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. (laughs) And what I hate, I do. I'll read that again. 
I'm, I'm sweat. This is if there was a scripture for Yoda in the Bible, this is the one. This is how he talks in riddles. I do not understand what I do, for what I do do, I do not do. And what I hate, I end up doing. So anyone understand that? Anyone recognize with that? As Christians, uh, we always want to do what's best. Hey, it's our intention to do what's right, but we sometimes miss the mark. Both of these passages are written by the Apostle Paul. And they're both meant to encourage us. And if I'm honest, the only thing I am encouraged about is that Paul, the mighty man of God, struggled, like I struggle in this case, to make the right choice, to do the right thing. Just like Paul, we want to do what's right, and we want to do anything but displease God. Sometimes I think he's up in heaven cheering me on. Sean, you're the man. Keep going. You're doing great. Like a, one of those guys in your corner on a golf course, encouraging you all the way. But other times I think he's uh, shaking his head a bit, <laughs> saying, Sean, mate, do better. Lift your game. You can do better. You can be smarter. You can think better. Lift. But I hope God has the same patience with me as I have to exercise with my children. I'll tell you a story. The other day, Coco and I are watching TV. And it's just after bath time, and River likes to come down first, and Marley likes to take his time. He's one of those kids. And it got real quiet, too, too quiet, scarily quiet, and danger quiet. And, and this is also like God, because when I go quiet, I'm usually up to mischief. If I stop talking to God, there's something going on there. And he was suspiciously quiet, so I looked up and noticed a bit of water seeping through seeping through the uh, floorboard. So I ran upstairs and saw him, and he had, sure as eggs, poured all of the water out from the tub onto the floor. Now, initially, I saw red. I flipped out, and I went, goodness gracious, Marley, I love you, but there's some yeah, heads are going to roll. And I remember, I remember thinking, uh, it took me a few minutes, but I realized, you know what? Marley is a baby. Marley did not set out to do me wrong, did he? He didn't have this heart to want to just destroy the house. He was just a baby playing. Therefore, I had to extend that grace to him and know, hey, I love you. You've made a bad decision. That's forgivable and even funny in hindsight. <laughs> but what about us adults here? Can we expect the same when we make poor choices? Most of the time during the week, every week, I spend most of my time, probably 90% of my time, dealing with people who are facing the consequences of their poor decisions. Whether that is people who have chosen to spend their money on addiction rather than paying rent, whether it's people who want to stay in abusive relationships, then seek help or refuge. I often tell people, you know, it's really, really hard to make quality decisions when you're in a constant state of crisis. And we see that every day in the charity that, I, that I'm a part of. They say that it's better for a student to get a full night's rest before an exam rather than staying up all night studying. Why is that? It's because you put yourself under immense pressure and stress. And trying to make a quality decision under that sort of stress is very, very hard to do. 
for people that are at risk of homelessness or domestic violence or any other traumatic event, it's like they're cramming for an exam 24-7, 365 days a week. It's just nearly impossible for them to make quality choices. I've literally listened to thousands of heartbreaking stories in my time. Stories that would probably keep you up at night from people who just didn't have the tools in their bag to make quality choices. And they went on, unfortunately, to spiral slowly out of control when one thing led to another and hardship heaped upon hardship. But I've always been a firm believer, let's build a fence at the top of the cliff rather than a hospital on the bottom of the cliff. Let's put some tools in our bags so that when the pressure's on, we don't only come through the problem, but we go from glory to glory, from strength to strength. And that's so often. A lot of what we do in the public sector or in the community service sector is uh, reactionary. We'll pick up the mess once it's done. We'll go to the house and visit domestic violence victim after she's been beaten up. And I think that we've got to put some stuff in place in our lives to prevent these bad things from happening. So I've identified uh, three things. Where's my little clicker? Go on. Doesn't matter. You put it just, Sean, I told you. <laughs> it's not even working. I've been stitched up. I've identified three types of decisions that I want to focus on today. Number one, the wrong decision, the babow, the blunder, the howler, the one we've all done, the one that we referred to the third umpire, you know that one to me, knowing full well <laughs> that it was my bad all along. Number two, the decision to do nothing. The case, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. The Nash, you'll be right one, or even worse, I'll just look away. There's nothing to see here. You know that one? Thanks, my man. Number three, the right decision. Ah, breathe out. The right decision. The decision to make, the decision that you make, both in your heart and in your spirit, there's a witness. And the people that you know and trust around you, they can agree with you on that decision. That's the God decision. That's the goal. That's where we all want to be. So let's break them down. Firstly, the wrong one. We've all done it, unless there's some perfect person in this room. No, yeah, we've all done it. We've all done things we wish we could take back, yeah? I struggled with shame and guilt for a long, long time. Basically, a constant looking back at all the stuff that I did. And it was my darling wife, Coco, who helped me get through this. I had counseling and all sorts of stuff to help me, but... There was a time where, just like someone with Tourette's, I would just bark out a swear word. And Coco was, for a while, how long did we go? Ages before she was like, what's actually going on in your head? And I was like, I'm just such an idiot. I remember these things I did, and I'm just beating up on myself. And she really encouraged me that rather than curse, I should edify. Rather than swear at myself, I should speak restorative words over me like, thank you, Father, that you've set me free. Thank you, God, that you love me as your son and that I'm no longer a slave to fear. And that was just a small thing that helped me get over that shame and guilt and all the things that I'd done wrong in my life. But by the same measure, I don't want to use the grace card here for everyone, like a get out of jail free card. 
which a lot of people use. When it comes to making poor choices, it's so common to deflect responsibility. It's never my fault. Someone else's problem. Someone else made me do it. Or the one I used to hear a lot, the devil made me do it. Have you heard that one? I hear it a lot at Care. The devil made me do it. You hear it sometimes, you know. I'm just under attack. I'm under attack, and uh, that's why I'm yelling at my kids. <laughs> that's why I'm being short with my wife. Hold on. What's the devil got to do with how we respond to adversity? We give Satan way too much credit, in my opinion, especially considering he is a defeated foe. I'm not diminishing that there are powers of darkness. I'm not saying that the devil doesn't exist or anything like that. All I'm saying is greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I'm also saying that it's not the devil's fault why we were rude to the barista who got our coffee order wrong. It's not the devil's fault for the man who cut us off in traffic this morning. (laughs) Roll the eyes. Can't go roll their eyes at me just then. <laughs> if the shoe fits, hey, hey, hey. Let's read James 1 12 to 18. I'm just going to get Ben to read this. Uh, James 1 12 to 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So, was there a mention of the devil in there? Nope. Nope. As we're drawn away by our own sinful desires. We're the ones who start with a thought and it can manifest into all sorts of stuff, which I'll talk about in a minute. But it's time to take responsibility. It's time for us to own up to our mistakes and recognize the cause of our own stupidity sometimes. Be quick to apologize if we have hurt people in the process. That's a hard part, but it's very necessary. Have an honest assessment of how not to do that poor choice again. Seek wisdom and help from others. Proverbs eleven fourteen, one of my favorites. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Very cool. If you're tempted to sin, I was going to get there eventually. You might as well go now. If you're tempted to sin, see the pattern of your behavior and do something to make the change. My favorite quote right now is, nothing changes if nothing changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. If you have an addiction scrolling on your phone or your smartphone all day, do something about it. Put the thing down. If you're up late at night looking at stuff you shouldn't be on your phone, find the patterns of your behavior and how you can stop those things in in its infancy. If you have a habitual routine, break that routine. 
If you find yourself in a compromising situation with someone that you find attractive, be the strong one who removes yourself from that situation. And stop blaming the devil for putting you there. I tell you the best advice I ever got uh, from my psychologist. He was a, a, a great help to me. He said, Sean, your thought life is everything. When you get tempted to do something really dumb, stop that thought in its infancy. And the way he explained it to me was like, imagine a chain. Imagine a chain on a bicycle. And you're pulling the pedals around, and that's what causes the bike to move. That's what causes your rear tire to gain momentum. And when you're driving fast on a bike, even when you stop, the bike keeps going. But he said, a bad thought is like one link in that chain. If you can pull that one link out of a big chain, no matter, you know, no matter how big the chain is, no matter what sort of bike you've got, it cannot move. It gains no momentum, and it stops. And that small thing has helped me immensely over the years, especially since repenting and turning my, my mind and thoughts around to honor God with everything I do. That still helps me every day. When I get these thoughts, which we cannot stop at times, stop them. Pull the link out of the chain and give no energy to that bike wanting to move forward. Break one thought and the bike goes nowhere. We've all heard sad stories about men and women in ministry who have fallen due to adultery or some sort of public scandal. And you can think to yourself, sheesh, that's, uh, where did that come from? You know what I mean? When you see something on the news, you think, how did that even happen? They were doing so well. And, you know, I, this is close to home for me because I've, I've been through this myself. My wife and I have been through this. And you think it's almost like an out-of-the-blue thing when a mighty man of God or woman of God falls. But you do not go from a fast lane on a highway heading north to instantly change direction on the fast lane heading south. It does not happen. Follow me here. This is important. Imagine you're on the M1 heading to Brisbane. Okay, You're going 110. You're in the right-hand far lane, the fastest lane. You can't change lanes. Why? Because it's clearly marked. You cannot go right of the fast lane. It's clearly marked. There is a clear barrier there. It can either be a bridge or a medium strip or at least double lines. The law says you cannot cross. So what do you do if you want to turn around? You slow down. You change lanes and you look for an exit. On the outside, it looked like it was a simple mistake. Wrong place, wrong time. But I can assure you that that man or woman of God had slowed down enough in their private time, which led them heading across the border, heading south. The lanes in our life, they represent clear standards that we might have put in place to stop us from going there. Maybe that was a line of accountability. Maybe it was intimacy with God or reading our Bible. We're now crossing those lines. Do you understand? We're now slowing down and crossing those lines we've put in place. And the unfortunate thing is, is by the time you've slowed down and you're on the exit ramp, you think you're still making a decision, but really you're on the other side of the highway, slow, gaining momentum, going south. And I can speak from experience there. You don't go fast one way and then turn around going fast the other way. There has to be 
change in momentum, a turning away, and oftentimes that's what's done in private. So enough about that. It's getting awful heavy in here. Just remember the important things. There's small things too. Being faithful in the small things prepares us to be faithful in the large things. Saying no to small compromises today will give you the courage to say no to big compromises tomorrow. Number two, the decision to do nothing. I want to show you this very quick little video. Anyone, just for a show of hands, do you think that the, um, the decision to do nothing is a choice or it's just relinquishing yourself of a decision? Check this video out. Wrap that one up. <clears throat> so that's very visceral, isn't it? Those who are listening later, that's a story of a video of people just going about their everyday business and a robber, potential robber comes along, kidnaps a child and just goes down an alleyway. And what happens? Most people ignore it. I think only one person in that small video does something and all he does is just say, hey, go and look down that alleyway. I think you might have a son missing. It's full on. And I know what some of you are thinking. If I was there, I would do something. Did you think that? If I was there, I would do something. I'm sure I hope that's what you were thinking anyway. But if I'm honest, I've walked past homeless people asking for money all the time. I've ignored broken cars on the side of the road, heaps. Even now, one of my close friends is going through a tough patch, and I'm not sure I'm truly helping him. Sure, I text him, I call him from time to time, but I believe in his time of need, I'm not really there for him. And that's just me being real honest. And I think if you're being honest, you have to listen to what God's prompting you in your heart. If a certain person or a certain situation is always on your spirit, rather than just ignore it, maybe that's God at least telling us to pray. At least. Pray for God's wisdom on how to help in that circumstance, how to help in that situation. Maybe you're helping them make a very, ignore them making a bad decision. Help them make a good decision. Seek wisdom in that situation. I want to share a true story that uh, perfectly shows these two points. It's a funny one. Back in the day, I used to play a lot of basketball, and I used to think I was pretty good at basketball. And down at the Carrara Stadium, not far from here, I was really honoured to be a captain of a team called Groundbound. And we still have the record down there for the most championships ever won. We won, I think I won 10, I think, I know, I won 10 championships <laughs> when I was there. And... 
I remember we were starting, a, we got this idea to start a Christian version of that, of a team. And Ben was involved, some other guys from church, and we thought, oh, let's, let's, let's join the comp. Let's join the same comp. For me, I was, it was already a bit of a, a, a shock to my pride. I was going from Division One captain, where everyone knew who I was, I think down three, three pegs, maybe, Section C <laughs> in the nosebleeds. Anyway, B? <laughs> I don't think we're B. B for very bad. Anyway, I'm in this team, and on the first night, like I said, we had a game, and there were people there, some friends came to watch us, and as I said, I was sort of captaining that team as well, and the game sort of just didn't go the way that I'd hoped. I, I honestly realized that it was refereed different on the lower levels, and it got to me. It really did get to me. Anyway, there was a point in the game where I just sort of lost it in my mind. I was like, I can't handle this. I can't be in this division. It's annoying me. We're obviously going to lose. I think we did lose that game. Anyway, after the game, as great sportsmen do, you shake hands. And <laughs> people are laughing already. You must know this story. Uh, you shake hands. And anyway, we line up. And one guy didn't want to shake my hand. And remember that second point? Do nothing? That's when I should have done nothing. <laughs> That's the God time to do nothing. When he's hurt your feelings and my pride was already done by then. So what did Chani do? Leader of the pack. Got my hand in a cup and just whacked him right in his nether regions. In front of everyone. I whacked him and then I just turned and walked away. Knowing full well that he wasn't being able to do anything. It started a brawl. Everyone just came on the, feet, on the court. Ben, my man, was like front and center. I put him in a dangerous position. Like, think about that. Like, he was my, my, my pastor, my leader, and I've just put him at the front of this crew that just want to smash my head in. And it's all happening behind. I just sat there sort of like real arrogant, like, come on then, bring it on. I knew exactly what I was doing there. That's not the worst. When I got home, I started justifying everything that I did. I started going... Sean, you were in the right. That fool didn't know who you were. Like, you were a big deal. I ended up calling the, um, the managers of the whole <laughs> Carrara Stadium, and I got them on side with me. Believe that. They did. They, they, they took my side. That's how convincing and cunning I was. And it wasn't until I, I came to uh, Jesus' secretary, my wife, that she, <laughs> she said to me, I was fired up. I said, honey, you should have seen what this idiot did. Like, deflecting all the things I've been talking about. And she, as calmly and as Christ-like as ever, she just said, Sean, did you represent Jesus tonight? That was all. And that's all she had to say. Did you represent Jesus in what you did? And that's what happened. It came down to me with my tail between my legs, and I understood, man, I've, I've, I've made a big mistake. I apologized to the team. We ended up um, carrying on that year. I don't know how. But it was a big learning step for me uh, in my leadership journey. It was a big eye-opener. And I could have chosen a 1,000 stories of me doing the wrong thing, <laughs> but I chose this one because I've got a better story, a better basketball story that I want to lead into my last point, doing the right thing. We were driving through Southport the other day, Mel and I, and we saw a guy, a well-known homeless guy, 
let's call him Cleary. <laughs> and Cleary is there, and both Mel and I noticed, we were like, man, it's so hard when you see a man who's been stuck in the same way for years. You see, him and his brother Hachi were longtime streeties, have been in and out of addiction, homelessness, you name it, even though they've both had a relationship with God. They both confessed Christ as their Lord, yet for years they were stuck in this cycle of bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. Anyway, I just sort of put that away in my heart, and then at the end of the day, it was coming close to three o'clock, and my assistant at the, at the charity said, hey, is someone here to see you? And I was like, I don't want to see no one. Turned around, and there was Hutchie. I had heard stories that Hutchie had turned his life all the way around. I had heard that he now serves the Lord with all of his heart, but I hadn't actually seen him in person. So when he saw him, I gave him a big hug, and he said, Sean, mate, I came along to one of your talks uh, about five years ago, just after River was born at the Kingdom Festival. It really encouraged me. I wanted to go up to you then, but I was still in a bit of shame, you know, of what was going on. But I've turned around. I have not spoken to my brother in over five years. I've walked away. And I go all gung-ho for the Lord. And he said, would you be able to come to play basketball with us? I'm one of the leaders now, the men's ministry at Genesis Church. My jaw just hit the floor. I was like, this is an incredible testimony of the power of making quality choices, yeah? And it was just funny that it was, um, he wanted me to come play basketball with him. And that's a decision that my legs are still, are still sorry for. But I invited Ben. Him and I went down. There was no fights. You weren't hitting anyone in the crutch, Ben. No, neither was I. It's good. We had a great game. It was fun. And it's something that we might do again, you know, invite other people from church to come along to. But... I was just so proud. I was so proud seeing from the outside uh, this man's true transformation. And to see him mixing with you know, other believers, it was, just, it was just one of those out-of-body experiences. Hachi made a hard choice, but it was the right choice. To change his mind, to repent, which means that he had to change his environment and the people that he was associating with. When I asked him, uh, when I saw him, him last, he said, yeah, five years ago was when I saw my brother. And that really nearly put a tear in my eye because I'm, I come from a big family and I miss my brothers all the time. But I'm really glad, really thankful that I left my father and mother's house, that I came to Australia and followed the call of God over my life. And that's tricky because it made me think about the, the scripture that Jesus said, those who have left father, mother, sister, brother for the sake of my name is fit for the kingdom. And that's what he is. God has richly blessed him. And, and his anointing, God's favor is all over him. Yeah. A few weeks ago, Ben preached really powerfully on the parts that make up us. The body, soul, and spirit. And if you haven't heard that, listen to it because it really sets the platform for what I want to talk about next. Our body, our soul, and our spirit. Understanding these is just key to get the mind and the wisdom of Christ. You see, although we live or we are a flesh and we have a soul, as born-again believers, we have access to his spirit. That's what Josh was talking about earlier. We have access to the Holy Spirit within us, who is also called the comforter, the counselor, and the spirit of truth. He can guide us into all spiritual wisdom. John 16, 12 to 15. 
uh, it talks about what the Holy Spirit does for us. We're short in time, so I won't read it, but, but check it out. It just shows that he will lead us. He will be there for us. Jesus said, I must go so that the Holy Spirit can come and teach you in all ways, teach you the wise decisions that you make. And because Jesus gives us direct access to him, we no longer have to rely on our soulish realm. You understand? We no longer have to rely on our own will, our own thoughts, our own emotions to make decisions because God is our ever-present help in time of need. And you see, the point of what I'm trying to get to today is that what are we feeding? What are we putting our energy into? What are we filling up? Let's call it like a tank. What tank are we filling up? You see, if we're feeding our fleshly or soulish realm, our desires all the time, our egos, our endeavors, this will be the reserve that we draw from when we make decisions. Meaning, if we are filling our soul tank to boost our mind, our will, and our emotions, we will only make soul decisions. If we spend all of our time on YouTube learning about philosophies or conspiracies or all that sort of stuff, it does nothing to grow our spirit man. Nothing. It grows, it grows our soul, it grows our intellect, our emotions. We can get attached to things. It gives us a reason to research, all that stuff. But it does not add to our spirit man. You understand? Look at Jesus' example. He chose to go out of his way to go through Samaria to see the woman at the well. Remember that story? And anyone who has seen The Chosen Show, it's so perfectly done. Jesus chose to go outside of his normal way to meet this woman in, uh, at the well. He foretold her future. She was radically saved, and he chose her because she was going to be the one to spread the good news to everyone in Samaria. And after he met with her, the disciples came back. Because remember, they left Jesus to go and get food. They left him to, to fill a soul need, which everyone needs. Everyone needs food. And when they left, Jesus was hungry, remember? And yet when they came back, they said in, I've got to find the scripture, John 16? Anyway, they said, who's given him something to eat? Who fed Jesus while we're away? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my father. My food, what fills me up is to, to walk out my calling in God. And I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up with just, just an analogy. Remember that story about the car going fast on the highway? I've just got a new diesel car, right? You've got to ask yourself, irrelevant of the car, what fuel are you putting in your car? Now, my awesome father-in-law, Mel, he can make a diesel go on cooking oil. Can't you, Mel? Easy. It smells like fish and chips on the highway. But he can put that in his car to make his diesel go. But what was it made for? It was made for high-quality diesel. So, yes, it's going to cost a bit more to fill that tank up. It's going to cost a lot more than cooking oil to get what your engine was made to do. But it's worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. And if you're drawing from the Spirit, just like Jesus did, when you draw from that tank, you're bound to make higher quality decisions. Because I would say that every bad choice you've ever made came from your soulish realm. 
and as a fruit of the Spirit. From the outside looking in, I know it's not about what other people think of us or how they see us, but it is important that our lives show who the Lord is. That when people look at us, they can say, that person makes really good decisions. They've got a good family. They've got a great relationship with their wife. They hold their job down. All these things that would line up from the outside in, that's quite abnormal for the way the world is going at the moment. Would you agree? And that's the important thing, that when they look at us, people and people in the church, people in the world and in the church, should look at us and think, they cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control, all these things. They're not looking at us thinking, this man has no love in their heart. Sean hates people. Sean's selfish. It doesn't line up. And that's what I really wanted to, to illustrate to people today, that if you're drawing on our spirit tank, who God created us to be, that perfect part of us that's born again, if you call Jesus your Lord, draw on him. Draw on Jesus. Draw on the Holy Spirit. Let, it, Spirit. Let him counsel us. Let him comfort us. Let us make better decisions. And I just want to spend some time now. I know we've gone short, but I want just to, for us to meditate for a moment, just to think. Times like this at the end of a church service, you can get um, a bit emotional or you can think, oh, is this one of those times I can confess the things I've done wrong? No. I believe that there are people in our church that it's time to make some good choices. And I want us to spend some time. We can put the pad on, honey. Just as we close, to use this time, especially after the awesome encounter we had in worship today. We've got like full access to him. I feel the Holy Spirit all around us, very strong. This is the time that we can do real business with God and say to him, Father, what is it that you want me to do? What choice do you want me to make? Is it the choice to do nothing? Is it to walk away from the situation? Is it to pursue? Are you opening doors, God? Are you closing doors? Just use these brief few minutes just to get clarity because the King of glory lives inside you. And he said we have access to him whenever we call upon him. So right now, Father, I thank you for these things you've taught me. And it hasn't been easy, God, my journey. Made many mistakes, but God, you've always brought me back. And for your grace, I thank you. And for every person that's here now who's been stirred to do what's right and to do what pleases you, I pray, God, for your wisdom, for your love, for your direction. Speak clearly to us, Father. As individuals, what would you have us do? It's so easy, God, to lean on our own understanding, especially if we've been doing this Christian walk for some time. But Father, we just want to lay it all down. As the theme of this morning has been, we lay down our own ideas, world's wisdom, soul wisdom. And we need you, Holy Spirit. We need your help. Thank you, Father.